Well, welcome to our new series called 40 Days of Prayer. We are going to spend the next six weeks going through the Lord's Prayer line by line. And we're doing this to draw ourselves closer to God, to deepen our relationship, and become more dependent on Him. So if one of your New Year's resolutions is to work on your faith, maybe pray more, this is a great series for you. So over these, these six weeks, we're going to talk about prayer in six different ways. Prayer as worship. Prayer as kingdom participation. Prayer as petition or asking. Prayer as confession. Spiritual warfare. And prayer as an expression of hope. And you'll hear from me You'll hear from Pafoa, Pastor Kong even, um, and a lot, a few others. And so, one of the things we're going to do in this is you're going to hear from some of the Alliance leaders. We're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and this, this 40 Days of Prayer is actually a nationwide Alliance campaign. So, we are joining churches all over the nation talking about prayer for the next six weeks. And so, we're going to kick off with a little introduction video on this week's theme, Prayer as Worship, and this is from Dr. John Stumbo, the Alliance President. We're so grateful that you've chosen to join with others across the nation in the Christmas Alliance family to start our new year in this posture of prayerful dependence upon God. As you're aware, we've chosen the Lord's Prayer as our theme for this year. And we launch with the opening words of our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Now that's the word in Greek, hagiadso, from which we get the idea of sanctified. To treat something as holy, to set it apart as holy. As we start our times of prayer, may we start with this posture that Jesus taught us to start with, and that be a posture of humble dependence upon the Holy One, honoring Him, venerating Him, lifting up who He is. In other words, prayer as worship. That we would not too quickly run to our list of concerns or complaints or petitions or requests, but that we would start our prayer with this posture of worship. Lately, I've been irritated by a phrase that I've used or heard other people use, and that's, let's pray quick. Let's just pray quick. Well, I'm not talking about the length of prayer, because the Lord's Prayer itself only takes some 25, 30 seconds to pray. But I'm talking about the attitude of prayer. And sometimes I fear in our pray quick thing, we're checking off a box before we eat a meal. We're, we're fulfilling a duty before we have a church service. But, but the Lord's Prayer, by opening with these words, Jesus is immediately positioning us in such a way that we are giving proper honor and attention to the One who is completely set apart above all else. Our Father. Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name. May we come in worship as we come in prayer.
So let's look at that first line in the Lord's Prayer. And we have it in a slightly uh, more contemporary version, uh, uh, translation than Dr. Sumbo wrote. But the first line, Our Father in Heaven, holy be your name. Now, at first glance, this seems like an inspiring, deeply spiritual beginning of a prayer. But as, as you'll see in a few minutes, it's actually one of the strangest combinations of words you could ever string together. In fact, its consistency and its contradictions almost border on the absurd. So, it's, it's like Mad Libs. You remember this? I love Mad Libs, man. I would just do that all the time. That was our, that was our car ride go-to for long drives. And so if you, you ask someone for nouns and adjectives and people's names, and then you plug them into a story, and the results are usually hilarious, or they fit really well. Um, and I, so, so I loved those as a kid. So at the risk of being sacrilegious, I decided to turn that first line of the Lord's Prayer into a Mad Lib. And so I asked, first I asked Pastor Kong, and then I asked his wife, Pang. Um, and so he, here's, here's what turned out. So, here is Pastor Collins. Our goldfish, which art in Atlanta, shiny be your cat. <laughs> and then here's Pangs. Our house, which art in Iceland, snowy be your bomb. <laughs> that would actually work out. <laughs> well, thankfully that is not our Lord's Prayer. Ours is our Father in Heaven. Holy be your name. But this is still a strange, even perplexing question. So we're going to break it down word by word, phrase by phrase. Our. Our Father. Not my Father. The Lord's Prayer is not a private prayer. Nowhere do the pronouns I, me, or my appear in this. It's only our and us. It is collectivist. It is communal. Prayer may be personal, but it's never private. This prayer is never private. It's our Father. See, Jesus assumed in teaching this prayer that you are part of a community. You are part of a group larger than yourself or your family. And if you are a believer, you are part of the great family of God. You are connected to one another. And that's the way God intended it to be. See, Western Christianity has turned faith very private and individualized. It changed our Father to my Father. But that's not what this prayer is. The Lord's Prayer binds people together. It binds the family of God together across time and space. There's a great phrase that marks the church, the communion of saints. This prayer is the communion of the saints in this room and watching us online communing with saints across the centuries and across the globe. See, we say the Lord's Prayer together in church to unite us, to bind our hearts together, 
You don't pray this for yourself. You pray it for us. You pray it for all of us. Because He is our Father. Father. Dad. T. Hey, you, for the teenagers. Bro. All you dads, whatever you end up getting called. See, this is a term of relationship. We are God's daughters and sons. And this is where it starts to get unexpected. That the all-powerful creator of the universe wants us to call him Father. So you might have heard that, that this term father in Aramaic, which is what Jesus would have been speaking, is Abba. You might have heard this in church before. And, and that Abba is a child's term for daddy. Well, it turns out that's actually not true. It's one of those things that gets circulated around. And I was even going to include this in the sermon until I started doing a little research. It turns out that that's actually, it's a kid's term, but it's also an adult term. And it is a very normal term for father. But you know, we don't need Abba to mean daddy for it to be marvelous. See, the fact that the Almighty Lord of the universe has chosen to adopt us as His children and allow us to address Him Father. Such a familiar, personal, relational term. That alone is truly astounding. See, the Lord's prayer is a conversation with a close and personal God who loves you enough to call you son and call you daughter and desires for you to call him father. Now, where is this father? In heaven. Now, this is where the brain bending starts to go. How can such a close, personal term like father exist with such a distant term in heaven. How does that happen? Well, throughout the Bible, heaven is consistently contrasted with earth. The primary contrast in Scripture isn't heaven and hell. It's actually heaven and earth. Earth is the realm of the visible. People, birds, clouds... And heaven is the realm of the invisible. God and angels and spirits. And only rarely do those two realms meet. At least until Jesus. See, in Jesus, heaven and earth are not distinct places, but they are overlapping places. Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven is near, and he wasn't joking. That heaven and earth overlapped. And when you pray, you actually enter into this overlapping space of both heaven and earth. Where our 
heavenly Father can be as close to us as our earthly Father can be. Now the last phrase. The last phrase might be the most shocking. Holy be your name. For purity. That person is really holy. That leader, that pastor, the priest is very holy. But that's actually not what the word means. In the Bible, the word holy means set apart. It means different, distinct, special. So growing up, my household had two things that would be considered holy. The first was this large, like, two-and-a-half-foot glass statue of a, of a basketball player, and it was all, like, 70s funky artistic, and, but it was really thin glass. It was in our living room, and my mom would not allow my sister and I to touch it because she knew if we touched it, we'd break it. So that was set apart. My mom had one other thing that was set apart, the good scissors. You know the pair. It's with all the sewing supplies. And God forbid I should ever grab the good scissors and start cutting construction paper with them. (laughs) The wrath of mom would come down. Those scissors were holy. They were set apart for a distinct purpose. They were not like the common scissors. They were special. They were distinct. Holy is something that is completely different. And when we're thinking about God, it is, it is God who is completely other. He exists in complete otherness compared to us. That's what it means when it says that God is holy. And so we sing the song, holy, holy, holy. We're saying God is completely other. There is no overlap with with us humans. God is completely other, completely special, completely different. Holy, holy, holy. This line says that God, represented by his name, is unlike anything else in creation. That's what it means. Holy be your name. So, Is God personal, like a father, otherworldly, like heaven, or completely different, like holy? Yes, he is. He is all of the above. And that's why it's such a mind-bender. How do we wrap ourselves, our heads around something like that? This is the ultimate intersectionality. If you've ever studied or or even thought about your own combination of being more than just one thing, we all live in levels of intersectionality. God is the ultimate level of intersectionality. He is personal like a father, otherworldly like heaven, and completely different like holy. And when you pray the Lord's Prayer, when you you pray that prayer that we just recited, you affirm all of that. And that's just in the first line. See, that affirmation of who God is, that's called worship. 
That's fundamentally what worship is. Whenever you affirm who God is, what His character is, you are worshiping. Sometimes that's in prayer. Sometimes that's put to music. Sometimes that's reciting something with a group in a building. But whenever you affirm who God is, you are worshiping. And that's why prayer is fundamentally worship. See, the first line of the Lord's Prayer worships God as a corporate, together, heavenly Father who is completely different from us. So if you struggle with prayer, if you have a hard time praying, begin by saying what you appreciate about God. And you're worshiping. You could just begin by saying what you're thankful to God for. For who He is and what He does. You're worshiping and you're praying. And that way, you will always start your prayers in a posture of worship. So why is this posture of worship of God so important in prayer? Well, it's because, if we're honest... We are all deeply self-absorbed people. You are. And I am. We are all deeply self-absorbed. And as such, we are always looking for something to help us, to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to fulfill our needs and desires. We are constantly looking for that. In other words, we are constantly looking for something to worship. See, this idea was brilliantly described by an American author, David Foster Wallace, in a graduation speech from back in 2005. And it's rather lengthy, but I'd like to read a a majority portion of that speech. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship. Be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess. Or the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles. Is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things... If they're what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And so on and so on. So the question is, not whether you worship. It's whether what you worship is worth your worship. 
The question is not whether you worship. Everybody worships. It's whether what you worship is worth your worship. So at this point, you might be wondering, well, what do I worship? What is most important in my life? Family, money, success, reputation. What do I depend on? What do I turn to to solve my problems? What do I turn to to mend a broken heart? What do you worship? We all worship something. Now, some of you already have something in mind. In fact, God even spoken to you early in this sermon. And so now you might be wondering, is what I'm worshiping worth my worship? Maybe the Wallace quote kind of got under your skin a little bit. And it got you thinking about the cost of worshiping money, power, beauty, brains. And you're starting to wonder, how do I know when something's not worth my worship? How do I know that? Now, the easy church answer would say, Jesus Christ, God is the only thing worth worshiping. And while that's true, there are some other good things in this world. So how do you know if what you're worshiping is worth your worship? Well, we go back to the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. If this is what worthwhile worship looks like, then the opposite of this is what unworthwhile worship would look like. So let's look at some opposites. The opposite of our is my. Are you worshiping, prioritizing, fixating on something that is ultimately self-serving? Have you made prayer about you? You may say you're working all those hours for your family, but really you're doing it for yourself. You may call it building a brand or being an influencer but really you're doing it to feed your ego. We do all kinds of things for ourselves. So are you banking your life on yourself? Are you spending your energies for yourself? If you are, you will always be disappointed. Why? Because you are a bottomless pit of need and affirmation. So am I. We crave that constantly. Our needs almost never end. And so, if, if you are constantly pouring your life into yourself, you will always need more. That's why my doesn't work. This, be- this prayer begins with our. So make sure you worship something that is worth your worship. 
the opposite of father is something or someone distant or impersonal. Are you worshiping or praying to a God that is far away? Do you relate to Him like a distant friend? A loving but distant family member? When things get hard, if that's you, when things get hard, you will always feel alone. Even abandoned. Because we are made to be connected with other people. Deeply and closely, not distantly. What happens when what you bank your life on is distant and impersonal? Well, maybe you're living out your parents' goals for your life. You'll ultimately resent them. Or maybe you're putting your hope and your trust in some vague goal or sense of accomplishment. You're serving something that will never give you back the personal connection that you desperately want. It will never fulfill your need for relationship and connection. So make sure you worship something that's worth your worship. The opposite of heaven is something earthly. Now this is where it's going to hurt. A lot of us are pursuing a very earthly purpose in life. You worship very earthly gods. And these earthly gods give earthly promises and earthly hope. And the only thing they can offer is earthly salvation. But we are spiritual creatures. We seek spiritual meaning. Everybody does. We have a spiritual problem that can only be remedied through spiritual salvation. Earthly things will never accomplish that. So be careful worshiping earthly things. And make sure you worship something that is worth your worship. And lastly, the opposite of holy is something common. Something regular and normal. You are an extraordinary creation of God. There is nothing common or everyday about you. Scripture says that we as humans are the pinnacle, the best of God's creation. There's nothing else that can even hold a candle to us. And some of you are seeking meaning and redemption through common things. And they will always disappoint. Because they're common. See, there's nothing common about you. There's nothing common about me. But some of you are banking your lives on things that are common and trivial. Things that will be irrelevant in a matter of years, if not decades. And what you're worshiping is so low 
that it could never possibly satisfy. Make sure you worship something that is worth your worship. In 1559, same theologian John Calvin wrote this. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. That means that you and I are constantly looking for things to worship. To give us purpose and meaning and salvation. And we don't always pick the best things. We we pick things that are self-serving or impersonal or earthly or common. We pick, we pick things that overpromise and underdeliver. And we pick things that, in Wallace's words, will eventually eat us alive. That's why we need the Lord's Prayer. That's why we say it here in church. It reminds us of who God is and why He's worth our worship. He places us in community to pray together. He is deeply personal, yet heavenly. And He is nothing like the common earthly things we wrap so much of our life around. We need the Lord's Prayer because it reminds us how remarkable God is. We need the Lord's Prayer because it reminds us and instills in us and conditions us to worship only what is worth our worship. So we're going to close this time here by returning to the Lord's Prayer. But we're only going to say the first line. So over the next couple of minutes, I'd like you to recite this line, just the first line, ten times. You can do it out loud if you like that. You can do it to yourself if you like that. But I want you to say this over and over again. And maybe each time you highlight a different word. Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. Or maybe, maybe over the last 25 minutes, God put one of these words onto your heart. And you hit that word every time you say it to remind you of what God is saying to you today. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes. You can sit, bow, you can keep your eyes open to read the screen if you need. But I'd like us to recite that to ourselves, not together. But know we are going to be doing it all together. Ten times. And then I'll pray.
our Father in heaven, holy be your name. God, you are holy. And you are our Father. You have adopted us into a royal family. And you call us sons and daughters. You are deeply personal and close to us, Lord. Thank you. Despite our sin and our selfishness, you are, you are near. God, let our lives be full of worship, full of saying who you are and recognizing and agreeing with you. Let us worship you with our songs. Let us worship you with our work. Let us worship you with our prayers. Let us worship you with our drives. Save these idol factories from ourselves. Set our hearts on you. Set our prayers on you. And meet us. Jesus' name I pray. Amen.